0: We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 today. I'm still talking about the Incredibles, what God can do through ordinary you. Up until now, we've uh, we've been looking at uh, certain superheroes of the faith. They're just ordinary people. Uh, but God used ordinary people to do some extraordinary things. And God can do that. Do you know that? Uh, God is just looking for willing people uh, that will step out of their comfort zone and be used by Him. And if, if he's, he's searching right now, looking right now, the Bible says, His eyes are going to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for someone's heart who's faithful to Him. And when He spots that person, He'll use them. And uh, that's what He did for all these heroes of the faith here in Hebrews chapter 11. He just found uh, willing people, and He used them in a great way. Today we're going to talk not just about a person, but a whole group of people. Because you know what? Sometimes it takes a whole group of people to do something and uh the the application is from the old testament church and i want to make that application to the new testament church now it, it's no secret that my uh my family's uh uh just very competitive i mean r- really we, we we are and and i want to be honest with you it it's not it's not a harming thing so my kids got their competitiveness from the archer side of the family and I tell you it's been it's just it wrenches itself up for every sporting event, and uh, we can't even watch sports on TV without getting, uh, you know, just uh, ballistic in the living room, you know? I mean, it's it's really crazy sometimes, but, you know, I've been thinking about uh, sports and my kids on all these different teams and, and uh, thinking back over the years as they grew up and and I can think back when, when my kids were playing either baseball or softball and they'd be out there on a team and, and nothing was happening in the outfield and you'd look out there in the outfield and, and the center field person would just be out there picking daisies or sitting in the grass or have their back to the ball game, not not paying attention to what was going on. And, and you know, maybe the first baseman would run over to the dugout and get a drink of water right in the middle of the game. And back then, it, it was kind of cute, you know. I mean, it was kind of cute to watch those kids do that. It's not very cute when they're 13 years old and they do that, you know. You kind of expect them to go past that point. Or I can remember in, in football, in, in first and second grade, a, a kid would get mad and he'd go over and pout on the on the sideline. Coach Bill didn't like that too much. He wouldn't he wouldn't let anybody pout on the side. He'd send them to the pole. He'd go to the pole, boy! Make them run to the pole and come back. These little first graders out there dying, running to the pole and back. He just didn't put up with it, man. He tried to get some discipline on that team. But you know what? What are you? It takes a team sometimes to get the job done. And I've been thinking this week while I was sick and delirious and running 105 FIFA, thinking about our team. Sometimes we get uh, we get kind of grouchy and
1: aggravated and. Sometimes things don't go our way, and so we'll go over to the sideline and tout a little bit, won't we? Not calling any names, but I did write... No, I
0: didn't write any down. Sometimes we just get caught up in the other things going on around, and we stop paying attention to what the Lord wants us to do and what needs to be done. And instead of keeping focused on the ball game and what God wants us to do, we're, uh,
1: we're picking daisies out in right field. Church, let me tell you, you're important. And you're needed.
0: You're a part of the body of Christ and you're a part of this church. And it's only together that we can do great things for God. The people of God coming together are an incredible force. They can even bring down walls. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. It seems very often true that as we grow older, our problems get worse. Anybody want to amen me on that, huh? As we get older, problems sometimes get worse. I'm really not sure why that is, except that life just gets more and more complicated as we get older. And from time to time, we run into problems that seem to have no solution. I'll never forget the shock that came to me when I suddenly realized that there were some problems in life that we just can't solve. Until then, I had always assumed that with enough energy and enough creativity, I would never face any problem that I couldn't solve. In fact, my dad had always taught me where there's a will, there's a way. And I am one. Yeah. Come on, people, are you there? Yeah. So it was a terrible blow to realize that there are some problems that exist in life that I may never be able to solve. And there are some situations that occur in my life and in my family that I just can't change. Now what do you do when that happens? What do you do when you hit that wall of an unsolvable problem? Well, here's this story in the Old Testament that perfectly illustrates what we should do. It's the story of the city of Jericho and it's found in Joshua Chapter 6. Let me just read a couple of verses to get us going here. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all of you, men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do for six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Now I can tell you that Jericho was not a welcome sight for the children of Israel. It represented an unsolvable problem. It was a powerful, well-armed, fortified city. Setting squarely in the middle of the route to the promised land. And the Israelites had no way to defeat it. They had no cannons. They had no battering rams. They had few weapons of war. And like I said in the first service, for some of these men, the only fight they had ever been in was with their wives. The children of Israel marching to Zion had literally ran up against a wall. Now let me stop right here and ask you, what's your Jericho? What's your insolvable problem? I'm sure you have one. If you don't, just wait. You'll get one. It could be any number of things. It could be a marriage problem that's just gotten worse through the years. And instead of getting better, Through the years, it gets worse. It could be that rebellious teenager who's now turned into an adult. They're still rebelling and it breaks your heart as a parent and you don't know what to do. It could be the problems that you're having at work and and the problem just gets worse and not better. It could be a financial issue. All of us have problems in our life. And sometimes all we can see when we wake up in the morning is that wall. Wall. That problem, it becomes the focus of our life. What do we do about it? Well, the Bible teaches us you need to do four things. First of all, encircle your problem with prayer. You know what? Prayer is not the last resort. I think it's the first option. You encircle your problem with prayer. I believe that's what the Israelites did. For six days they were silently walking around the city one time a day, and on the seventh day they encircled the city seven times. Not saying a word. Just walking around this fortified city. What in the world were they doing as they walked around this city? Well, I'm sure there are a few of them, just like you, worried, hoping that the roasts don't burn in the oven back home. Yeah? Yeah? thinking about the problems of next week. But then there were others, spiritually minded among them, who were praying. They had to be. I mean, this was an insolvable problem. This was a huge obstacle. They saw the fortified city. They saw the double wall that was in front of them. They knew they could not defeat this city on their own. And so what were they doing? They were praying to God. They were literally encircling their problem in prayer. And you know what? It's not the first time we see that in Scripture. In fact, the Word of God tells us that this is what we should do. It is a pattern in the Word of God that we encircle our problems with prayer. When King Hezekiah's city of Jerusalem was surrounded with the invading troops of the Assyrian king Sennacherib, he took those threatening letters from the Assyrian ruler to the temple. And the Bible says that he laid them out before God. Now folks, this is, this is pretty awesome to be. You know, I almost drop a tear when I think about it. Here is the king, the leader of his people. They are about to die. The most bloodthirsty army on the face of the earth is just outside of their city walls. They annihilate all of their enemies. Hezekiah knows he doesn't have a chance. He has a threatening letter right in front of him. The king of Assyria says, this is what I'm going to do to you, Jack, and it ain't good. So against all odds, what does he do? He takes that threatening letter, he lays it on the altar, and he lays his body out before God, and he cries out to God. There's nothing else he can do, but he prays. When Daniel was up against the stone wall of death in the lion's den... He went to his upper room, he knelt down, he prayed, and he gave thanks, just like he had done every day since he was a young man. Why? Because he knew the value of prayer. When you have a problem, you pray about it. When Peter was imprisoned and scheduled for execution, the early church gathered at the home of John Mark's mother, and they prayed for him, the Bible says, without ceasing. They had a problem, they couldn't fix it on their own, and so they prayed to God who could. When Jesus was facing the greatest wall of them all, the cross, He spent the night in the garden of Gethsemane praying to His heavenly Father. Church, we need to learn to encompass our problems in prayer. We encircle them with prayer. We surround them with prayer. We pray without ceasing, and we don't get discouraged. We keep praying. Jesus said we should always pray and not give up. Now, one of my points later in the sermon is about perseverance, that we, that we just persevere to the very end. But you know what? Let me, let me just belabor this point about not giving up in prayer, because sometimes I think we do we give we give up way too easy we need to keep praying even when it doesn't feel like god is hearing our prayer we need to keep on praying how many of you are enjoying the olympics yeah i love the olympics we love to watch olympics i, I think i like the summer games better than the winter games, but man, they play some, they, they do some incredible sports, what they do, and it, it just blows my mind. Sometimes I enjoy the story about the athlete even more than I do watching the athlete compete. There's some great stories out there, you know? Uh, for example, the other night I was, I was watching Nicole Pace. She's a skeleton racer. You, you may not be familiar with the sport of skeleton racing. It's a, it's a crazy, crazy sport. Uh, here are these people face down, going down this tube of ice, lying on nothing more than a cookie sheet. I mean, that really that's what it looks like, a cookie sheet with some blades stuck on the bottom. And it looks like, I know they have to do more to these things than this, but it looks like they've just taken some black duct tape and wrapped it around the thing. I mean, it's crazy. You're laying almost on the ice going down at speeds of over 80 miles an hour face first. That's crazy. Noelle Pica's Pace is one of America's favorites in the skeleton race. She retired four years ago after being defeated in Vancouver. She came in fourth place, just, just seconds away from a bronze medal, but she didn't make it. Her and her husband already had one child and they decided that she would retire from the sport and they would just devote their time to a family. She she had another child and then two years later she miscarried. And after the miscarriage she uh, got to evaluating her life and she said, you know what, I think I've got one more Olympics inside of me. And so for the next two years she dedicated herself to training, and, and you've probably seen commercials of her on TV. She's going to the gym and lifting weights and there's one of her little kids giving her a picture they've drawn, you know. She takes her kids with her to train. They train with their mama. It, 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 it is a story of me of a woman with perseverance. She's not giving up. She knows the answer is out there. And she sticks with it. Well, it paid off for her. She won the silver. You know? Guys, let me tell you, don't give up praying. Encircle your problem with prayer. When you don't think it's doing any good, hang on. It is doing good. God is hearing, and God is going to answer. Don't give up. Number two, encircle the problem with faith. Sometimes we use the term walking by faith in a figurative sense, but here the Israelites were doing it literally. I've been impressed recently at the way the Bible assures us how God responds to our faith. And He does. When we act in faith, God responds. When we do something trusting Him, God responds. I've been made aware of that as I've studied the Bible. And and, and I think it's it, it's an awesome thing. But I've also been convicted about my own lack of faith. Recently, as I was reading in the Bible, I was struck by what the shepherd boy David said when he was confronted with his gigantic problem that even had a name, Goliath. Here's what David said. The battle is the Lord's. That's interesting, isn't it? Here's this little kid, teenage boy, about to go into battle with a giant. He says, the battle is the Lord's. Well, I began checking the cross-references to that statement and I was shocked and greatly encouraged at how often the heroes of the Bible use statements like that. This is God's battle, not mine. It's God's problem, not mine. God's going to handle this. So, So I'd like to share just a medley of Scripture readings with you that I put together based on this concept. I don't have time to give an explanation as to what's going on here. Just listen to these great verses. For example, Hebrews 6.10. Paul said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He goes on to talk about the daily fight that we have with the evil one. Satan, every day, is hurling fiery darts at us, trying to trip us up and consume us. He's a roaring lion wanting to destroy us. And so Paul warns us. He says, listen guys, you need to be strong. But he knows we don't have enough strength in and of ourselves. So he says, you be strong in the Lord. Wow. Second Chronicles 20, verse 15. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. Situation is Judah and Jerusalem is being besieged by a great multitude of several forces that came together. Jehoshaphat is the king. He's terrified. He doesn't know what to do. So a prophet comes to him and says, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, because the battle is not yours. It's God's. You will need not fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Hang on to that because that's amazing. Deuteronomy 3.22 You must not fear, for the Lord your God Himself fights for you. You will not need to fight in this battle. These are only two of many Scriptures that tell us in the Old Testament all God required of His people was to show up. Basically, that's what He's saying. You guys just show up to the battle and just stand there. And watch me do something amazing. That's all they had to do, show up. That's the kind of God we serve. We need to have faith that He can handle our problem. Exodus 15, 3, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Psalm 24, verse 8, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Romans chapter 8, 37, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. First John four, four. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Zechariah five, six. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says
1: the Lord. God's awesome. Ain't nobody like God. (laughs) The problem you have, it's big
0: to you. It's a huge wall. You see it every day when you get up. It's nothing to God. You just make sure you have faith and trust in God. He can handle it. Seems like all the stories I'm talking about today have to do with sports. I I don't know why, but... This week when I was thinking about this, I I went back to my football days. (sighs) Emerson Elementary School. I was on the famed Emerson Knights football squad in the 5th and 6th grade. Let me tell you, football back then is a whole lot different than football is today. In elementary and junior high school. We had a good team, a couple of... uh, of The guys, their dads were our coaches, and they put together the Emerson Knight team. We played other elementary schools in Midland, Texas, and a
1: couple of years we won city championship. It's all because of Herbie Pierce, though. Herbie is the biggest kid on the team.
0: He wasn't just a big kid. I mean, he was a big kid, and he was a fast kid. He
1: was strong. He was bigger than anybody else in our school. Herbie was awesome. Herbie was our fullback. Somewhere up in my attic, I have this piece of paper. It was our play sheet. Coach had drawn up some plays. We had six of them.
0: Three that went to the right. Three that went to the left. In every play, the quarterback gave the ball to Herbie. Herbie run right. Herbie run left. He'd just plow him over. It would take half the other team just to tackle him.
1: He was fullback. I was halfback. Now I'll be honest with you. Back
0: then, I thought the reason they called me halfback was because I was half the size of Herbie. Really, <laughs> I, I literally didn't know there was a halfback on a squad back then. But You know, I didn't do anything. I mean, I I really, I didn't do anything. Herbie did it all. But a couple of times, a couple of times, they would give me the ball. And the coach told me, Willie Bill? There it is right there. I threw it out there. That was my name back then, Willie Bill. Willie Bill Harmon. Willie Bill? When B.B. gives you the ball, B.B. Langsford, he was the quarterback. When B.B. gives you the ball, You just get behind Herbie.
1: (laughs) And you follow him. They only gave it to me a couple times, but I scored touchdowns both times behind Herbie. It's awesome. It was awesome having Herbie as my best friend. It's awesome. i got a best friend now that's a lot bigger than Herbie. We all have problems, don't we? Sometimes, sometimes the problem is just life. Not necessarily any one big thing, just a whole lot of little things that pile up. And in the mornings, we don't even want to get out of the bed
0: because that wall's right in front of us. And we know we're going to have to face it, but we don't know how to climb over it or go under it or go
1: around it. And let me tell you, Jesus can handle our problems trusting, following, have faith. Number three, encircle your
0: problem with perseverance. Real quick, why seven days? I mean, God could have given them the city in one day, couldn't He? Why why'd he do, Why seven days? Why did He take seven days to do it? You know, one day, two days, three days, four, five, six. Same old, same old. Finally the seventh day. Well, one of the reasons I believe undoubtedly was to teach the Israelites the quality of perseverance. The ability to just keep on going on in the face of difficulty. I don't know why the Lord values this characteristic so much in believers' lives, but He does. He wants you to learn how to persevere. I'm not going to take time to read them this morning, but in Romans 5, James 1, in Ephesians chapter 6, the Lord talks about perseverance and how we should learn perseverance in our life to hang on, to keep the faith, not to give up, to keep plodding along, to keep doing the right thing. Church, do you hear me? Even when no one is watching or listening or even cares, you just keep doing the right thing because it's the right thing. And when everything is turned south in your life and it's not going the way you want it to go, You just keep trusting in God. You persevere. Then number four, you encircle the problem with praise. Now we very often praise the Lord after deliverance has been gained. Really the great song of deliverance in Exodus chapter 15 was an eruption of praise that occurred after they had all passed through the Red Sea. God had led them safely through. God had given them victory, and they praised the Lord for it. But in this case, praise was given even before the walls fell. This is incredible. Have you ever noticed this? Their shouts of joy and praise and thanksgiving didn't come after the victory. It came before the victory. Joshua chapter 6, verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On the day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. And then in verse 20 it says, they heard the trumpet and they shouted. They shouted Praises of glory. They were praising God. They were giving God the victory before He had given them the victory. Reminds me of the prayer of praise at the end of the book of Habakkuk when Habakkuk said, in effect, even if it appears that everything else is going
1: wrong, I'm still going to praise the Lord. I think it's terrible that we have the
0: opportunity of voicing our praise to God and we just don't do it. We get so overwhelmed with our life and our problem that we can't even see the solution who is God. And friend, there's a little secret that I've learned in the Word of God that when we start praising God, even when we don't feel like praising God, we'll begin to feel like praising God. He might not necessarily take our problem away, but He will change our attitude when we change our focus. What's your problem? You've got one. It's the wall that you wake up to every morning. What do you do about it? Well, very simply this morning, you bring it to the Lord. You bring your problem to Him. Carry it to the altar. Pray about it. Turn it over to Him. Have faith. Trust God that He's going to take care of you you keep on doing the right thing and don't give up and this morning you praise God no matter what heavenly father i pray that you would bless this part of our service where we have the freedom dear lord to come and give
1: you our lives and our problems i pray dear lord that people